Joe Astor, and this week on Living in the Pages, I speak with best-selling author Melanie Harlow. We discuss her structural approach to storytelling, navigating co-writing, and Prince love. Good morning, Melanie. Yes, good morning. Hi, how's it going? Good. It's slightly spring-like in Michigan, so we're pretty happy here. Well, this is airing May 23rd, and so your book will have just come out. Yes. I've been so fortunate to be reading it ahead of time. Thank you for sending it to me. Oh, you're welcome. I love this story. I really, really do. Thank you. It's been a little bit since I've read your books, and I told my friend, now I remember all the reasons why I love your writing and your Aww, stories. Thank you. So it good. is hard to keep up. I, I can't do it either. I mean, and not only there's so many awesome books out there, you know, written by people I don't know, but mm-hmm. all my friends are authors. Yeah. And some of them can write very quickly. <laughs> yes. So it's it's really hard to keep up. I know. I feel like people are getting faster and faster and faster. And- well, I'm not. So don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> you have a bunch out though, right? Is it 22? Well, it depends on how you count. Like if you, if you count the novellas, I have two of those. And then I started with historical. So I have two historicals that I put into one because it was like a a book and then a sequel okay. that no one reads. So <laughs> sometimes I count those, sometimes I don't. But for contemporary, I think this might be my 17th wow. book. I'm about three titles a year. See, that's so fast to me. I'm so <laughs> impressed and I want to know all your secrets. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. Um, a deadline. That's the only thing that motivates me. Yeah. Do you write every day? <laughs> I have a pretty good schedule. I can only handle about 1500 words a day. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm amazed by all, you know, my friends who say, "Oh, I can write 3 4 5000 words a day." Mm-hmm. That is just not me. So realistically, at 1500 words a day, and I usually try to give myself one day off a week. Mm-hmm. So I just block it out if I know that I want my books to be right around 70,000 words. I look at how many 1,500-word days I need to get that in and Mm -hmm. and kind of work backward from when I have to have my audio script in if I want audio to release the same day as the ebook and the paperback. Will audio be releasing undeniable? Yes, that is my plan. You know, you upload and cross your fingers, and sometimes it takes a couple of hours with an ebook. And then my last co-write, it took us you know, like four days to oh. go live. Oh, that's painful. And then my last audiobook in February, when Irresistible came out, the audio, I uploaded it, I think, 10, at least 10 days before the release date, and it still wasn't quite there. So, hmm. you know, I try. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I do my best. But until Amazon allows you to schedule a live release, I'm at their mercy. I think it's good to talk about these little things that readers don't necessarily know about. These are things that I never, when I first sat down to write a book, I never thought about them. Mm-hmm. But you have to. You're, yeah. you become, you're not just writing a book. You are a one-person corporation, right. basically. Right. <laughs> and every decision, you know, is is yours. Every success can be yours and every mistake also. You've been writing a long time. When did you first know, I'm assuming this is your passion? 
Yeah, it really is. I really do love to write. I was an American studies major in college and always just really loved to write. Like I was the person who got excited when assigned a research paper. (laughs) So I would much (laughs) rather like sit at home reading and writing than going out. And that's still true. (laughs) Yes, me too. And then I taught high school English and social studies for a few years. And then after Mm -hmm. I sort of took a break to get married and have kids, I thought about going back to teaching. But I really sort of um, was like, okay, if I'm ever going to do this, this might be a good time while I'm not teaching full time to sit down and try to write a full book. So it was about 2010 Mm -hmm. that I decided to try it. And I wrote several YA novels, which shall never see the light of day, (laughs) and tried to get an agent and had, you know, lots of rejections, lots of requests, but I got sort of tired of being told no, and they couldn't, they said historical was a hard sell. And I didn't believe them because I love historical, Mm -hmm. but it turns out they were right. (laughs) (laughs) So I switched Uh. over to writing romance. I took a historical idea that I had and made it more of a love story. And that turned out to be the first one that I self-published in 2013. Mm. And like I said, historical wasn't really the hot thing in indie publishing. But I learned a lot from the process. And I saw Mm. friends writing contemporary romance that were having a lot of success. So I thought, okay, maybe I just need to shift the genre a little bit, shift the category and, and keep trying. And then in 2014, I started the French series. And I think that gave me the boost that I needed. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. maybe I can do this and build an audience. But even that I kind of consider as sort of a breakout, but it wasn't Mm -hmm. massive. You know, I wasn't suddenly selling a million books. So it's been more of a slow climb. Sometimes I think that's the best way because it's just more realistic instead of a bam, huge success and then... The way the market changes so much, then it can kind of be depressing when they're not all that way. Yes. And I think, you know, back in those early days, you know, if you were publishing 2013, 2012, even 2014, 2015, it seemed like there was no limit. Like you could just keep growing and growing. But the market now is very different. It's a lot more crowded. You know, the subscription service Kindle Limited has changed the game entirely. Mm -hmm. So you do sort of have to just keep doing your research and looking at how can you adapt to mm-hmm. to keep growing. But yeah, it is hard. If you had like a massive success right out of the gate, it's hard to get those numbers again. It really mm-hmm. is for everyone. I noticed that you've co-written with two different authors, which is fun. <laughs> what were your experiences like? Two totally different experiences. So the first co-writing experience was male male mm-hmm. and the reason that ended up being a co-write was because I co-wrote it with a, a gay friend and it was mm-hmm. his idea and he came to me and he said I really want you to write the story it was based a lot on his experience he moved here from Ukraine when he was you know like 19 or something 20 years old and had nothing and just was determined to stay and then met, you know, the love of his life. And so it was a really romantic, beautiful story, but I was terrified. I was like, how am I going to write this? And I knew a lot of women of friends were writing Mm -hmm. male, male romance, but I was really nervous. And I said, okay, I'll do this, but let's go on this journey together. I'll help you, you know, give this story words if you give it the voice. Hmm. So it was 
a different kind of collaboration than writing with Corinne. Corinne and I wrote 2,500 words a piece. We just traded back and forth. So mm-hmm. sometimes I was writing the hero. Sometimes I was writing the heroine. It wasn't like trading characters or chapters even. Right. So we could leave off. Like she would be so mean to me. She would leave me in like the worst places where she would always leave me right before sex. So I would have to write the sex every time. I was like, somehow I'm going to get you back for this. But with the first one, he would send me, you know, in his words, and English is his second language. He speaks mm-hmm. like six languages or something. He would send me scenes and ideas, and then I would sort of... Um, you know, flush them out and make sure it was properly written. So it was it was just a different kind of collaboration. And I loved doing both. I really mm-hmm. had a good time doing both. They both sound very fun to me. <laughs> but yeah, I can see where the experience with David would be a little challenging. It was. And the funny thing was... It turned out that writing gay characters wasn't as big of a challenge as writing a Russian character. I would oh. write this scene and send it back. He'd be like, no, no Russian would ever say that. <laughs> He'd be like, no, no Russian would never do that. I need some kind of guideline here. Can you tell me, you know, what would a Russian say here? Uh, yeah, we laughed a lot about that. My husband and I went to Russia when we were first married and I remember them talking about how much we smile. Yes. <laughs> Russians do not smile that much, they yes. would tell us. <laughs> oh my gosh. And and other like just really funny things. He said a lot of Russians are very superstitious. So we had mm. fun with that. We like wrote in a lot of his superstitions and <laughs> yeah, it is funny. Apparently I really nailed the gay thing, but the Russian thing I needed some work with. <laughs> I wanted to say your website is so beautiful. And oh, thank you. I kind of felt like I was cheating because there's so much information on there and I felt like I got to know you a little bit more just from that. I'm so happy to hear you say that because that was really my goal. We revamped it. I think it was even just last last summer. I really wanted it to be a place where if you went there and poked around a little bit, you would know who I was and you mm-hmm. would know whether or not you know, I was your people. When you go to my website, I want it to be the place where you get a sense of what my stories would be like, what my world is like, and if it's like a place where you'd want to go. You pulled it off. It's (laughs) beautiful. And yes, I feel like you're my people. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that you have a bunny. Oh my gosh, (laughs) my bunny, Peaches. So cute. Santa brought the bunny in 2014. And she is the most beautiful bunny you could imagine. So sweet and gray and soft and fluffy. But she hates people. (laughs) (laughs) Does she at least love you? You know, she does. My husband always teases me. He's like, you guys are the same person. (laughs) She will give affection and also accept affection only on her Mm, own terms yes like she will hop over and you can pet her if she feels like it Mm -hmm. otherwise she will make these noises she like grunts (laughs) it's really that i'm like okay no no petting no petting peaches right now she kind of sounds like my dog (laughs) (laughs) very much yeah she's beautiful but she's persnickety (laughs) what do you do when the words aren't coming you know 
I used to just 100% pants. Like I would have an idea for the main characters and then I would just sit down and go. But that's not very efficient. Like it takes much longer to write a book that way. If Mm -hmm. I give it some time now before the story, and this is so hard for me to plot it out, you know, I know where it starts, I know where it ends, and then that all important midpoint. So I'm a structure girl. I read a lot about plot and the three act structure. And so I'm a really firm believer in um, adhering to that. Do you have a favorite book to recommend on that? Yeah, sure. I really love Gwen Hayes Romancing the Beat mm-hmm. because she took that structure with, you know, all the beats that you need and she applied it to a romance novel. And I think a lot of writers are like, oh, I don't want to be, you know, caged in by that kind of structure. But for me, it's comforting. Mm-hmm. Corinne, my co-author, she's like, I don't even know what a three-act structure is. (laughs) And I said, but you do, it's just instinctive to you. Mm -hmm. She said, yeah, I guess I know when to turn the boat around. I'm like, exactly. (laughs) For me, if I'm going to plot it out ahead, I like knowing, okay, in, let's say, in a 60,000-word book by you know, roughly 15,000 words, that's the end of act one. There has to be some you know, point of no return that pushes them into the new world, sort of, at the start of Act Two. So that made it easier for me to plot out ahead of time. Mm -hmm. It's still not easy, but I'm very thankful once I'm writing the book. Of course, you never stick exactly to what you think is going to happen. Right. Your characters might take you in a surprising direction, but at least you have an inkling of that next beat you're working toward. Mm. And then I also really like Larry Brooks' story engineering. Yes. I really like his approach as well. And it's very similar. It's not strictly romance-based, mm-hmm. but like I said, it's it's there and it comforts me when I don't know what to do. So when I do get stuck, I sometimes return to that structure and say, okay, where did I go wrong? Mm-hmm. And then... The other thing that really helps me when I'm stuck, I have to just get away from the computer. Staring at the screen does nothing for me. So I have to go. (laughs) Right. I have to go pet the bunny. Um, I go fold laundry or Mm -hmm. take work out, go for a walk or something. But it's really hard to make myself do that. It shouldn't be that hard. I know the answer is not going to come to me sitting in front of the screen. Yeah. But somehow it's like counterintuitive or something. I I feel like, no, I have to stay here and figure it out. Yeah. I can't tell you how much time I've wasted doing that. And so it helps me just to hear you say it out loud. (laughs) Be like, no, this is going to be the time when Mm -hmm. sitting in the chair just... Going to cross over here. (laughs) Right. (laughs) An idea is going to strike me. Let's do a fast five. I will ask you questions and you answer off the top of your head. Okay. Last five star book you read. Oh my gosh. I read so much nonfiction. I'm trying not to be boring. (laughs) You don't have to make up answers. We're good with nonfiction. Okay. I'm reading right now Joe Biden's book. I will look it up. What is a go-to meal when you don't know what to cook? So here's where I confess. I love Green Chef, the meal delivery service. Oh. My husband and I 
we both like to cook, but we both work full time. We have two kids Mm -hmm. and it was getting to be like, we weren't eating dinner until nine or 10 o'clock at night. And then somebody was like, oh my gosh, should we go to the store? We eat paleo for the most part. Mm -hmm. So somebody was having to go to the store at like nine o'clock at night and buy salmon or chicken (laughs) and then come home and cook it. Like, cause we try not to eat anything out of like a bag or a box. So green chef, we do that three nights a week and it takes all the thinking out of it. It takes all the grocery shopping out of it. Nice. And then, you know, we'll cook over, over the weekend. What's a typical Sunday morning? Oh my gosh. That's the one day that nobody has to get up early for anything. So usually I'm downstairs by about 8.30 maybe drinking coffee and I bring my Kindle down with me. I'm like, I'm just going to sit around and read a book. Mm-hmm. But usually I get on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Who do yeah. you think should rule the Iron Throne? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay. So this is new for me this year. Like I have been pro Jon Snow from yeah. season one, but he is acting kind of like a child this season. Mm-hmm. He's not thinking correctly and the only person that is I feel is Sansa mm-hmm. and I don't think Sansa even wants the Iron Throne but she is the only person who's thinking rationally okay and she's survived a lot by knowing when to talk and when to stay quiet yep she's just been smart so I cannot wait to see what her arc is for the rest mm-hmm. of the season and and so for good. me Game of Thrones is at its best when it's about like those family dynamics and the political intrigue and the betrayals and the Mm -hmm. love affairs. I'm not the battle scene person. No. I was like the lone person in my camp that did not like the big battle episode. Yeah, it was a lot. It was so much. So I was really happy this past Sunday that there was more, there was at least more conversation. Yeah. What is your favorite song to dance to? I love me some Prince, like old school Prince. Mm -hmm. I love old school Michael Jackson. I think Off the Wall is one of the most fun albums ever to dance (laughs) to. Yeah, I kind of, I dig that sort of stuff. Okay. Well, I think it's time for us to sing a song. Oh, you can't be serious. I am (laughs) so serious. This is what we do at the end of my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For some reason, the song Raspberry Beret came to mind for you. Oh, my God. Um, Yeah, but how does that one go? (laughs) Raspberry Beret. (laughs) That's all I remember. (laughs) Yeah, but then it's like, um, the kind you find in a secondhand store. There. You could totally sing <laughs> Raspberry Beret. Do you remember the next That's line? That's all I got. And if it was warm, she wouldn't wear much more. Yeah. <laughs> Raspberry Beret. Yeah, I'm dancing over here. Uh, you can sing. I'm going to dance. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing this today. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. So fun to talk to you. Have a great rest of the day. You too. Bye. Bye.
Thanks so much for listening. See you next week.